All right. If you want to grab a seat. I love that you're getting to know each other. Please continue doing that. Whether you want to head out to the park afterwards, there's a great playground right next to the school or just hang out. We'd love for you to continue that today. My name is Drew. I'm the pastor here at Hope Community Church in Columbia Heights. And uh, I had a I had a really exciting day yesterday. Um, lots of things happened. I got to go to Maple Grove and hang out with some Hopesters at the, I think some of you are here. We got to hang out at the beach. It was my first time at Fish Lake. It's pretty, pretty spectacular. Um, before that though, I got to celebrate Columbia Heights 100th birthday, um, which is pretty incredible. Uh, and uh, a few of you got to come. We had a crew, uh, not even a few, a whole crew of people from our church that got to man a booth. Um, look at how excited they look. This was not posed like this. This was genuine uh, excitement. We got to run the Plinko, the clown Plinko board, which was really exciting. Celebrate with people all over the town. And uh, I got asked to be in the dunk tank and I got uh, multiple texts from some of you. Uh, not like, how's your day going? Praying for you, pastor. But I got, can I see you get dunked? Uh, you should have shown up. But I did maybe have a, few, a video for you here. And actually, our very own Zach, ooh, look, he's even dimming the lights. He wants to make sure people see this. Our very own Zach Servio, our, uh, our master of the AV equipment back here, uh, was the first person in line. And uh, he is a baseball player, so you'd expect this. I love you, Zach. Yeah, well done. Let's see this look. See this look that we're giving each other. We're feeling different things there. We're not feeling the same thing. Oh, Zach, I love you, man. Uh, just so that Zach doesn't get too uh, puffed up, here's a video of my uh, nine-year-old. Actually, today, ten-year-old getting it. I think in just one shot, Zach. It just took her one throw, not two. I'm gonna see it. It only took one. You see that? There's one. I think it took Zach though too. Let's check. Oh yeah, missed the first one. Did you make this? Oh, you do make the second one. And then one more time. Okay. She's nine years old, Zach. She made it in one shot. Pretty good. Incredible. We had a lot of fun. Uh, I got dunked a lot. This lady here, I don't know her name, but she let a lot of kids just push the button, and it was. It was, uh, it was great. It made their days, I think. Uh, we, um, uh, it was fun. And thanks for those who came out. It, it was really, it was one of the joys for me of the day is just seeing all these people from our community uh, together in one place, having fun, playing games. It just, you don't see that very often, right? Where people from all over come together uh, just to get candy and play bingo and hang out. So it was really, really a cool day and um, enjoyed it a lot. I asked you a question, though. Uh, we asked you to talk about a question of when a weight was lifted off of you. Uh, and that was to get us starting to think through something that we're going to talk about today um, in our parables. And I, when I think of a weight coming off of me, I, one of the first things that comes to mind is I remember uh, the days that my wife and I uh, wrote like our last, I think we still wrote a check even for one of our student loans. I don't know if anyone has went through this process where they finished a student loan. Probably some of you are looking forward to that day someday. But we got to like write our last check on our student loan payment. And I didn't think it'd be a big deal because it just took years of, of slow payments. But there was this moment like, 
whew, uh, this debt. And I think maybe um, in a lot of our lives, financial debt often when it is paid off can really have that feeling of, uh, of relief. And when I think of the word debt and that being paid off and that like relief, that burden coming off of us, I always think of this old commercial. In fact, it's so old, it's still square, the commercials. And in fact, I couldn't find a version of it that wasn't old and pixely because it's that old of a commercial. But see, maybe you've seen this. This is one of my favorite commercials about I'm debt. Stanley Johnson. I've got a great family. I've got a four bedroom house and a great community. Like my car, it's new. I even belong to the local golf club. How do I do it? I'm in debt up to my eyeballs. I can barely pay my finance charges. Somebody help me. Need a smart way to consolidate your debt? At LennyTree.com, banks compete, and you choose the loan that's right for you. It kind of twists there a little bit at the end. I'm in debt up to my eyeballs. Um, we're in a series where we're talking about uh, through the parables, these uh, incredible image, these pictures, these narratives, these stories that Jesus tells to give us a clue, to give us a picture into what the kingdom of God looks like, what it looks like to be in God's family, what it looks like to have Jesus as king, what, what, uh, how it's different than maybe the world that we are in or just the world we tend to want to turn Towards And so today we're looking at this idea um, of this debt that's been paid that in a sense, we are very similar where we're saying we have a debt and it's not just a financial debt. It's not like we've taken a lot of loans out. Uh, it, it's a way weightier, heavy burden, a, a fog that we could feel around us that sin has brought onto us. This debt that comes from us turning from God and what he's called, the ways that he's given us to bring life and turning to ways that often bring death in this way. And, we've, and we feel, I think, even if we don't say those words, often we're crying out, help me, take me out, take me out of this dead. And there's this moment we see in scripture where Jesus talks about this um, and tells us this fantastic, very short parable um, that, that I'm excited to look at. So today we're going to look at the parable of the two debtors. And this parable takes place uh, in the house of a Pharisee. And there's kind of two main characters. Well, three main ones, Jesus. And uh, he's the one kind of in the middle here with the white and the red sash that has the feathered hair. Uh, and there's this woman uh, who comes in and does this. It's, it's great. I mean, it's really crazy. These people can't believe that she comes in and worships Jesus in this way in washing his feet. And then there's a Pharisee and uh, we assume probably other Pharisees and people there with them. And the way they react and, and the actions that are taken share a lot about their heart and what's going on. So we're today going to look at this Pharisee, uh, this parable. This is a classic parable that has been depicted in many ways. It, it, it's always an incredible picture um, of someone really humbling themselves and worshiping Jesus and a picture of others kind of looking at like, what is going on? Uh, which I think hopefully will encourage us in our own walk. Uh, and, and hopefully today it will encourage you, if nothing else, understanding uh, that there's a great weight that Jesus has done the work to lift off of you. And so we're going to open our Bibles to Luke 7. If you uh, have a Bible with you, you like to follow along or take notes. Otherwise, this, the scripture will be on the screen. We're going to just walk through this story, unpack it a little bit. And then I, I want to share a little bit of what this story has been doing as I have been uh, unpacking it in my own life. And even I've been reading this with, with some of you, um, throughout the last few weeks, I've been just meeting with people and uh, some things I've learned. 
Let's start, though, just the story. This is from Luke 7. Um, and uh, here we go. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. So the, the beginning of this, the story just starts here. Jesus is in a town and a Pharisee invites him over. And a Pharisee, if last week we talked a little more about this, Pharisees were a group of people uh, who were religious leaders. They were responding to a lot of people becoming more Roman and less Jewish. It was some of their fear. Um, and, the, and the Pharisees are people who wanted to follow God's law, his rules strictly, and were very good at seeing, uh, figuring out who was in and who was out uh, by their actions. They, they often uh, could find a lot of wealth and power in that too, which gets real messy when that all gets mixed together. And so the Pharisees often in the parables are one of the people who are highlighted with a person who you'd never expect Jesus to highlight uh, as an example. And then we always end with like, the womp womp with for the Pharisees. It's like, hey, don't be a Pharisee. And maybe people have said that to you, um, which you should consider why they're telling you that. Um, but today a Pharisee invites Jesus, which just is interesting. Uh, this, they think this maybe could have been, scholars say if they'd been at the synagogue actually worshiping together or uh, just because of the hospitality that was in their culture, a Pharisee might've been almost obligated if they had met Jesus, who was now this person in their community who was uh, making claims that, that um, were opposed or at least different than the Pharisees were teaching. He may have been interested just to learn more about this Jesus. He may have wanted to bring Jesus in for dinner to try to trap him in one of these conversations they've tried to have with Jesus to prove that he's not God, to prove that he's not a prophet, to prove he's not who he says he is, to discredit him. But we just know, all we know is a Pharisee says, Jesus, you should come over for dinner with me to my house. Uh, And Jesus says, yes. And in fact, he comes in his house and he reclines the table. This reclining at the table is normal. Uh, often they would be eating dinner at a low table and you'd kind of sit down on like pillows or uh, this low bench and you'd recline and kind of kick your feet out. Sort of like the picture looked like before. So that's the picture. We have Jesus sitting at a table with this Pharisee and then someone else enters the scene. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life. I love that, that introduction. There's this woman who lives a sinful life. Learned that Jesus was eating at this Pharisee's house. She got, she got wind of it somehow. Maybe someone saw them walk in the house and, they, and word got out. The Jesus guy who's been healing people, who is claiming to be God, who is doing these things, he's in this house with this Pharisee. However, she found out, she learned he was there. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. That's, that's how, what's going on? That's just, that just seems like a strange thing. She hears about Jesus. She doesn't want to wait to see if he's going to come out later. She doesn't want to find him another day. She goes into his house, which is a big deal. As if this is a woman in a sinful life, um, scholars in this believe most likely she probably uh, was a prostitute um, or or just was known for a sin that was, if you're known as a woman in the town for a sinful life, she was doing things that were clearly public in in her sin. Um, And so she came in, which would have been very unheard of. This Pharisee would have had uh, certain rituals and ways to be clean. He would have had rules about how you come into the house and who is in the house. And to, to have a sinful, a known public sinful person coming into the house, someone who doesn't follow the rules and the laws of God would have even made his whole house unclean. It would have made his whole house, in a sense, sinful. So that, wouldn't, that would not have been okay, but she just comes in. She knows Jesus is there and she has to see him. 
So as she stood behind him at his feet, she was weeping. And she began to wet his feet, her, his feet with her tears. So she comes in to see Jesus and she's weeping when she sees him. I mean, she has this emotional reaction to just seeing Jesus. She's weeping and her tears drip onto his feet, which would be dusty and very dirty feet of someone who wears sandals all day in a dusty, dirty place. You can imagine cleaning anyone's feet with your tears. That's a strange thing, right? We typically don't do that. Maybe you do that in your home. In our home, we don't clean each other's feet at all, um, let alone tears. Um, But she cries onto his feet and then she wipes it with her hair, even just letting her hair down is this other act uh, uh, for a woman to let her hair down around men was could be seen as even like an erotic thing. And so she's just making this scene even more awkward, more inappropriate, more uh, for the Pharisee, probably sinful. And she uses her hair now to clean his feet, her tears, her hair. Then she kisses them and she pours perfume on them. She does everything to, to show these acts really of worship, cleaning his feet, humbling herself, serving him, kissing his feet, pouring this perfume she brought Honestly, that would have been this expensive item that, that meant a lot to her. She pours on his feet. This, this wild moment just happens. So the Pharisees who had invited him saw this and he said to him, or he, just, or he says to himself, sorry, he says to himself, the Pharisees thinking, if, if this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. So you, do you feel this? He's... He's watching, remember the scene, he's watching her clean the feet and he goes, man, if, if this Jesus was who he says he is, if he really is a prophet, just any kind man of God, he would realize his feet right now are being touched by a sinner. Someone who's unclean. Like if he really was here and hearing from God and speaking for God, or maybe it is God, I mean, He's questioning who Jesus is. He's saying, this is, okay, there's no way this guy is who he is. Even right before this, we hear, this is when people start saying, who's this Jesus? He hangs out with sinners, with tax collectors and prostitutes and people who clearly aren't following all the rules. This, I love this because Simon says this to himself. He's, he's thinking this or whispers this or goes like, who is this Jesus? And then Jesus answers Simon, which should be a little indication of Simon when he just had like a thought and then Jesus answers it without hearing it. Uh, I love that his thought is, I wonder if this guy's a prophet. And then Jesus says, yeah, I'm a prophet. And he goes, what? He says, Simon, I have something to tell you. Which anytime if Jesus were with you and he says, I have something to tell you, it'd be a good time to listen. Maybe be a little nervous that you were thinking or doing something that wasn't great. And he says, okay, then tell me, teacher, and Jesus then tells this parable. So remember the scene. There's this, the woman, she's sitting at Jesus' feet. She has washed his feet. She is seen as unclean. She is seen as a sinner. She, is, she would have had this incredible amount of shame just poured on her. You're an outsider. You're not welcome. What are you doing in my house? I just think even the way they, their eyes would have been like weighing her with shame, their words would have been weighing her with shame. You have broken rules God doesn't want you. We're the ones who follow the rules. And then Jesus says, let me, let me tell you something. This might help clear up what's going on here. He tells this quick parable. He says, two people owed money to a certain money lender. 
So two people have money. They're indebted to a person. One owed him 500 denarii, which is a lot. And then the other, only 50. That's right, 10 times more. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. They couldn't do it. They both owe someone 500 or 50, couldn't pay them back. So he forgave, the moneylender forgave the debts of both of them. Now, which one of them will love him more? He says this to the Pharisee. These two people, oh, one owes a lot of money, one owes not so much money. And this moneylender says, you know what? I forgive you of that. I'm gonna take the weight of that debt off of you. And Simon replies, well, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. Oh, you suppose, Simon, huh? He supposes the one that owed 500 would love him more, would say, I can't believe you'd forgive 500. This is the 50 guy who said, yeah, that's pretty cool, thanks. And you say, of course, the one who forgave the bigger debt. And Jesus says, you have judged correctly. Uh, this phrase, this is just an interesting kind of side note. This phrase judged correctly here is actually, uh, some scholars think uh, this phrase, would have, the, the language that was used here would have been the language that described how Simon was thinking. So you're saying Simon for a moment was judging the woman in the scene of Jesus. And then Jesus says, let me tell you a story. And now he says, okay, so now you have judged something correctly. That, that the person who had this enormous debt and it was forgiven would love immensely. You'd hope, right, in this moment, maybe it would be something that would click. Jesus would say, hey, remember, you just thought, how, how could you ever let this woman touch your feet? Why would this woman even react this way? Why is she even here? And he'd say, hold on a second. Let me tell you something. You'd hope this would click for Simon. And then Jesus tells us, and he turns to the woman. So he looks at her, but he's talking to Simon. He says, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. So stop here for a second. There actually would have been a tradition, like if, if Simon had been a good host, he most likely would have actually taken maybe a moment to wash, or at least give Jesus the opportunity, some kind of basin to wash his feet in. He would have given him some kind of uh, a host, a friendly uh, uh, kiss on the cheek. They would have embraced and given it if he had actually welcomed him in as a friend into his home. He, not, not that he necessarily is worshiping Jesus or believes that he's a prophet. He would have just thought of hospitality of the culture. He would have done those things. He would have offered him oil that he could have put uh, on his head or in his hair or just kind of cleaned himself with because he would have been dusty. And he didn't do that. So these three things that typically you do, even just welcoming someone, uh, ha having great hospitality in your home, he says, you didn't do any of those. And this woman does this in, in such a greater way. She does it in worship. He says, therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus says to her, your sins are forgiven. And the other guests began to say among themselves, who is this that forgives sins? So now Jesus goes from, he can't even be a prophet. 
to, he, he's forgiving sins. He is saying to them, I'm God, only God forgives sins. I am now saying her sins have been forgiven. And Jesus says to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So quick summary of this moment. This woman comes in and shows her great love for Jesus because of the great debt that she understands has been paid for her. And the Pharisee does not see that. And he tries to explain it to him. And he he looks and gives his attention to the woman and reminds her and tells her, "Your, your faith, your faith, you believing that I'm the one who forgives sin. I'm the one who's, who's going to make a way so that your debt can be forgiven. I'm the one who's going to pull all of that debt off of you of sin. I'm that one, and she can't help but respond in this way. She doesn't care what other people are thinking. She doesn't care what kind of shame is being thrown onto her. She doesn't care that culture, they'd say, you've done terrible, terrible things. You can't be around Jesus. He's way too good. He's way too holy. She says, you have done this and and I recognize it and I'm gonna run to your feet and I'm gonna worship you in this way. I'm gonna love you in this way. Catherine Clark uh, Clark, uh, Kroger says this. uh, I, I love this. Her act of devotion represents her best effort to express her newly awakened response to God's grace. This act of devotion to him. Whether her past actions have been the result of lust or need or manipulation or defiance, whatever it is, whatever motivated her heart to do those things that that aren't what God has, has called her to, she's been transformed by the power of divine love. Do you see this? She's been changed. Her heart comes alive and she can't help but say, I can't even wait for Jesus to leave the Pharisee's house. I don't care if I'm not supposed to be in there. Jesus has lifted me of this, of this debt and I'm going to run to him. I'm going to worship him. I've been transformed. Jesus says there, uh, those you know, have, who have little debt would love a little. I, I, I think that might be a moment where Jesus uh, gets to be a little sarcastic or maybe uh, says something that isn't necessarily even, um, it's true, but to try to trigger the, the Pharisee's mind and thinking like, uh, yeah, I assume in that moment the Pharisee would say, yeah, yeah, I guess I don't sin a lot, so I wouldn't feel a lot of love because I don't have a lot of sin. And you'd hope maybe that night the Pharisee would lay in bed and he'd go, maybe, maybe I sin a little more than I realize. Maybe that love would grow. Maybe, maybe slowly over a few days he'd continue thinking and going, actually, my debt is enormous and I can't pay any of it. And his love would grow for Christ. I think that this is what my hope today is us to understand this debt that's been paid for us and not just say, thanks, Jesus. That was cool that you did that. But that would change our hearts. This is the the basics of the gospel. So today I just want to look through what is this truth that this enormous debt has been paid for us and out of that we get to respond with love towards Jesus, worship towards Jesus. This is what happens that, um, this is how our lives change. So often uh, I'll meet with someone and they'll say, uh, I'm just not doing all the right stuff. I wish I could just be not so much a sinner. So how is your relationship with Jesus? Are you, have you gotten in the word? Do you feel like Jesus changed your heart? No, no, no. I got to get this together so that Jesus will like want me. And you go, oh, no, no, no. You, you flipped it. F- first, just go to him. He has paid your debt. L- allow him to change your heart. And then out of that, you're going to have this new heart. You're not going to want to sin. 
And so we see this, how this changes our motivation. Here at, um, at Hope, we like to use this phrase, the gospel and community on mission. This is kind of how we assess stuff. So if we say we're going to have a small groups meet, uh, we're going to say, how, what does it look like to have gospel and community on mission? What does the small group look like doing that? If we have an event, what does it look like to have this happen? This is our kind of uh, metric we use for lots of things. In fact, you may have seen this, like this is our, uh, this is our, this is just like a screenshot of our daily update that I, that I guess is, is not sketch. I just found out today it's not sketch. If anyone's wondering, uh, this is on the top of it every single time. I'm hoping we just like, this really gets into our, our, uh, everything we're doing in our life. We think, is this the gospel? Is it in community? Is it on mission? Um, I put it in there. So hopefully a few of you see it every week. Um, I think of it like this. So I think of it like we're in a, we're on a road trip together and, uh, there's this gospel that's, that's with us in our car. Um, so it's like not Aaron Rodgers. This is Jesus. Um, we're like with Jesus in a car, but we're not just like hanging out in a car, listening to music in a parking lot. We've like put the car in drive and we're going somewhere together. So it's the gospel. We're together and we're going somewhere on mission together. So I just want to pack, what is this truth that we just saw, heard in this parable? Take a few minutes. What does that mean in light of these things? This is even a way I've found in reading scripture. What does this passage say about the gospel, the good news of who Jesus is and, and what God has for me? What does this talk about community and people? And uh, what does this talk about me moving towards people on mission? So we're going to start just with the gospel. This, this, this parable is really a story of the gospel that's summed up here in Colossians 2. When you were dead in your sins, let's not skip that part. You were dead in your sins. You weren't really contributing your sins. Sins as in things we've, we've, uh, we've decided to worship things, to put our hope in things, to, to cling to things, thinking they're going to bring us life, and then they, they don't. God has said, you, you turned away from me. In the beginning of Romans, we hear we're worshiping created things and not the creator who created them, which could be all sorts of things and all sorts of really good things that we make into God things. But we were dead because of that, that we keep doing that. And in the uncircumcision of your flesh, we, we weren't turned to God. God then made us alive with Christ. We were dead and he resurrects us because of Christ. I know we hear that over and over and I say that all the time. We can't, just that alone, holy cow, incredible. He forgives us of our sins, the debt that you have on you. Every moment that you've turned your heart away from God, all of those have been forgiven. The weight has been pulled off of you, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness. That's like the least cool way to say that. He has canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness. We owed him a great deal because of this sin. And the only thing that we could use to pay that back was our death. And Jesus instead took that death. He said, I'll take the death. You take the life which stood against us and condemned us, this legal indebtedness. He's taken it away. He's nailed it to a cross. This is the gospel. So this is what we throw in our car with. This is what goes with us. This is what we're uh, breathing in. This is what we're eating. This is, this, is, this is what comes with us. This is what starts us. This is what fills our hearts so our hearts can overflow. And I love the verse after this. I think it speaks to this moment in our parable as well. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them 
by the cross. Not only has God paid this debt you owed, he didn't just pay it and then say, okay, please, just go and please stop doing this. He pays the debt and he takes care of the powers that have been heaping the debt on you, heaping the shame on you. Jesus has disarmed Satan and his armies. They're trying to shame you. They're trying to help you say, I, I should just walk away from this. There's no way I can follow this. I've done too many things. I turn away too many times. I need to find something else. He says, no, those, those things don't have any power over you. They want you to believe that you're just a little sinner with, that needs a little forgiveness and you can find somewhere else to find that. They tempt us, accuse us. They push us around but they no longer can keep us from Jesus, from his kingdom, from his heaven, from his joy and his peace and his strength and his love. He's done this and not just taken our debt, but he has disarmed the powers and authorities. And not only disarmed them, he has he's made a spectacle of them. He's brought them out in public and said, they're not what you think. I have triumphed over them on the cross. They've taken this thing of sh this shame that, that often can control us, that can motivate us, that can hold us back, that can hurt us, and they've disarmed it. Brene Brown says this about um, shame. I, I, I've been encouraged by some of the ways she talks about shame. So shame is the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. So it's this 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 overwhelming, this painful feeling we experience, this weight that's on us that we believe we're flawed and therefore we're unworthy of love and belonging. So sin says we are flawed. And Jesus comes and says, yeah, but I'm going I'm to take care of that. And now you're going to be loved and you're going to be welcomed into the family of God. So this, this enormous, could you imagine what the, what the woman felt who was, sitting on the ground washing Jesus' feet, the, the eyes that looked at her, the people around her day after day. There's that sinful woman. It, it, well, we don't even know her name. We're just going to call her that sinful woman. The weight that was on her, the, the belief that I'm worthless, not worthy of love, I'm unlovable. No one wants me. I have no place, no family. And Jesus says, you are broken and I want to fix that. And I'm going to do that by going on a cross, dis disarming these powers, taking your debt. And now you're called loved and now you're a part of my family. Uh, Andy Minio has a song uh, on this, I love this album, uh, called Shame. And it really describes this weight that can be honest. It says, you fly in circles around my head while I sit on the edge of my bed. I cry, oh, what have I done again? Because I'm about to hate who I am. So I'm about to hate who I am. That weight, I'm so sick of this cycle of sin over and over. This song ends uh, with this phrase, Jesus, he washes away all of my sin. Not, I'm just going to figure it out. I got 10 steps and I'm going to stop. And if I do these right, I'll stop sinning. Jesus has come and washed those away. So we can look at this scene. Um, 
understanding the gospel still. We're thinking, what does this gospel mean? And it has two words that have been coming to mind for me. It's this idea of, of a relationship with God that's either an admission into God's family or an audition for God. I think that's the two people we're seeing here. I think we're seeing a woman who has realized Jesus has done the work and invited her into the family of God, that she could turn her, her job is to have faith in Christ. And then out of that, he will transform her heart and her life will change and that will look different. Her, her life will look different now or someone who is just continuing to audition for God, hoping God will invite him into the family of God because he's doing enough. We can see which one. One of them understands their deadness. Or maybe it's just this relationship versus transaction. Have you felt this in a relationship? Have you felt this in your relationship with God that there's a transaction that needs to happen? I need to do enough stuff, exchange enough good things so that God will allow me in, so that my debt will be paid. Maybe he'll readjust my uh, interest, the, the interest on my loan, so I won't have to pay so much over time. Our relationship becomes, the gospel becomes a transactional thing. Not understanding that Jesus has done the transactional part and now God has grabbed you and pulled you into relationship with him. And so if we believe that about the gospel, then what does that look like in community? Well, if that's what the gospel is, then community looks like this. This is a, a, a quote that is posted all the time, right? All over the place, which I love this. I, I uh, looked up, I was like, where is that from? This idea that church is a hospital for sinners and not a museum for saints. So this church is we gather because we're a bunch of sinners who have this enormous debt that needs to be paid off by Jesus or are we a place to like show off how awesome we all are? Now, we're actually called sinners and saints because of what Jesus has done, but this, I, I like this imagery because it, it, uh, it makes it feel like or see that we come to the church to be healed. For, for us to let the gospel heal us and fix our hearts. And then we get to leave. We don't like live at the hospital. We leave and we get to go tell more people there's a place, right? I love this. So I looked up this and I found, <laughs> I was curious where this is from originally. I think some of you probably heard this before. This is great. I, I searched for like, who is this from originally? Here's all the people that originally quoted this. St. Augustine apparently said it. Pope Francis also is where it's from. Also Tim Keller is where it's from, which is like the Pope. Also, Abigail Van Buren, which is Dear Abby, uh, is also where it's from. I believe she was uh, Jewish. Bob Marley was quoted as the originator of this quote. This is my favorite one. And, and Bono, Bono was the one who first said this quote. I love, it's one of those quotes you're like, no one knows. And so apparently Bono gets credit, which I'm going to start taking credit as well. So if, any, if you ever hear this, you tell them I'm the one who said it. Because we all get to claim it. Um, this though, I, I, I have this because this is what I think if this is true, that there was an enormous debt that was paid because we were sinners, Jesus paid that. This changes what community looks like. This changes uh, how we interact with each other here within the church. It changes how we view our relationships in the church. It changes when someone visits your small group or when you see someone walk in, what your first reaction is. Because you go, yeah, I have had an enormous debt paid. It has changed my heart. And whoever that is has had the same thing paid. We are just sinners coming to the hospital and Dr. Jesus fix us. Or our relationships that we see around us transactional, are they auditions? Are you saying, I'm gonna let this person see how, how good they are before I let them really into this community. I'm gonna, this person mentioned a few things the first time I talked to my church. I am a little nervous about maybe hanging out or they seem like they might be 
they might make me a little tired. So I'm going to find some other people. Is, is the reason you're hanging out, the reason you're connecting and building a relationship, is it just because you get something and they get something? What does it look like for us to be a church, a community where people come in and go, oh, you're a bunch of sinners too. All right. What does it look like to be a community where someone isn't nervous to say, I'm processing this thing and nervous to say like, I don't want to be canceled by my small group or by a friend at church. I, I, what if we were a place that, that held on to Jesus so tight and he was the truth in the way that we could allow people to, to process and say and talk, that there was actually a safe place where people could go to be honest with what they're thinking and feeling and they didn't have to just say what they thought everybody wanted them to say as if they were auditioning. What a, the church gets to be this incredible place. And right now, today, people are dying for a place. They can just say, I, I don't know. I, I don't think I'm processing this. I'm thinking through this. This is really hard for me. And not to go, I hope I can say this and not get in trouble. I hope I can say this and not get kicked out of this. But we can be a place that, that comes together because we know we hold on to this thing that's outside of ourselves. This is a, uh, a pretty special thing. This week I had the opportunity, um, not even this week, recently, I was hanging out with someone and uh, they were, are considering coming um, to our church. So they come a few times and we were hanging out. I just said, oh, and they said, could you help me process? I don't know how to process where I should go to church. Um, I said, well, we'd love for you to come here, but we could process and I said, what, what comes to mind when you come to Hope? And they said, well, the first time I came, I walked in the door and the first few people I met made me feel so welcome, like you actually wanted me there. I said, well, I think we did, hopefully. <laughs> Thank God you met those people, not the other people who don't want us. Uh, and he said, I felt like, like healed when I left. Like people like looked at me and they genuinely... Uh, like saw me and they let me just like share about me. And then I left and it was something about me felt like, like I got a little healing. He's like, as if I like went to the doctor and they'd give me a little medicine just to start healing me. And I was like, I'm like a little teary. And he was like, does that make sense? And you're like, that's, that's the greatest thing ever. <laughs> it's like the dream, right? That we'd have a church where someone left Sunday morning and said, I felt healed being there. So what does it look like for us to keep doing that? This is, this is not just um, important, but I, I just read this this week. Um, this just uh, came out, this survey about um, friendship. And this is a, a decline in, it, among men, but about, around everyone. This is wild. This is not a very long time from 1990 uh, to 2021. I know that is kind of a long time, but not really, right? Um, look at this decline. This is incredible. In 30 years... Um, we, men went from saying they have no, three men out of a hundred said they had no close friends and now 15. Look at how far this is pushed over. And I don't think, so, some of you aren't built to have six to nine close friends. Some of you might think that sounds so tiring. Like two friends is plenty. Um, but for someone like me, I'm like 10, huh? Why doesn't the scale go to like 25 or more? Um, <laughs> I'll take more friends. Um, but here's what's important about this. This is showing, just a survey of Americans, that we have less 
close friends. And in fact, the questions that were asked were not just, do you have close friends? The questions were, uh, when you're facing a personal problem, do you have people you can reach out to? You see this? 15% of the men asked, said, I have no one I can reach out to. Well, that's only I want. I maybe have one friend. This is, this is significant change. And maybe you felt this in your own life. Maybe you felt this around you. There's, there's a lowering of, of real connection. Um, the, the words that were used in the survey, do you have close social connections, in-person connections, people you can call when you have personal problems, people who will listen to you, allow you to talk, not judge you. And, the, and this was some of the answers we saw. So I show this, just say, this, we're waiting here. Like there's a, there's a home for those who say, I need a place to connect it. I can, I can talk. I can say, hey, I'm a sinner. Look at this stuff. And we don't go, Ugh, right? We don't, aren't grossed out by sinner on us. We go, me too. Oh, oh, I need Jesus. Me too. And if that's true, then so we have this gospel and we get to bring it into the community. It changes what our community looks like. We get to then drive that car. We don't just sit and go, okay, we got a few of us. Let's just sit. These are people I trust. We get to say there are a lot of people all around us that are, fe- are looking for that good news. They're looking for less transactional relationship and they're looking for a whole lot more uh, of bringing it in for a hug. Maybe not a hug. That just scared a few of you also, but they're looking for that. I think of how, how simple that can be even in just making a connection as someone shares something that we might know as sin to say, yeah, that's hard. Stuff feels broken. There's something about connecting on like we're in the same place. I remember when I, uh, after I had heart surgery, I went in to meet with the doctor and it was a different doctor. So now I have a different, another cardiologist I'm meeting with and she came in the room I thought, another heart person, and I'm like just anxious every time I go because I think they're going to tell me my heart's about to stop. And, uh, and I, I go in, and, I, and she walks in and she says, hey, it's so good to meet you. And she said, it's fun to meet a fellow person with a bad heart. I said, okay. <laughs> and she said, I have the same bad heart that you have, the same thing wrong, and I have the same valve that you got replaced. Like we're like bad heart buddies. And I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> Uh, and also felt an enormous weight off me. There was something like, I'm just instantly connected to you because we both have bad hearts. And whatever you say now, I just feel like you get, you get it. And I think we have an opportunity to get in our car with Jesus and drive and roll down our windows and say, hey, we have bad hearts too. And we know who fixes them. And we get to move towards those around us and bring them back into the family and say, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a hospital. There's a doctor who fixes those things. A few things I want us to consider here as we continue to worship um, Jesus. Just, just to, as I'm processing this, I want you to think through this. This is, this is a big deal. Do you believe that Jesus has paid our debt, your debt? That's where to start. Don't, don't start with, I'm going to do all the right stuff. How can I not be a sinner? The question, how can I turn to Jesus and worship him. Maybe how does your shame or how does auditioning show itself in relationships, whether that's with God, your relationship with him, or maybe those around you. Have you seen that affect you moving towards, maybe not moving towards people? 
even just as you're having a conversation with someone, what things are you thinking about? I mean, what's one step you could take this week in your own life in gospel and community and mission? Is there one of those that sticks out? Like, I, I don't know how much community I have. No one's in the car with me. Um, Jesus isn't in the car with me. I need to figure, I need to figure that out. I mean, maybe I'm not really moving anywhere. I'm sitting in the parking lot a lot. What does that look like? And even just a simple, who could you invite into the family this week? Who's somebody could say, hey, I know, I know a bunch of other sinners. We'd love to hang out. Um, that sounds like a phrase like you'd hear in high school. Hey, I know some sinners. We're going to go to this field and sin. Um, I wanted to share uh, this, this Andy Minio song has been really powerful in my life. I think it's a great song. And I found this uh, group of uh, people in California that are creating this really cool content. They're a group of dancers and choreographers and filmmakers, and they're making these videos um, to try to encourage the church. And they actually use this song and they've created this kind of experience. So I'd like us to take the next three minutes to, to uh, experience that. Maybe this is a different way of you uh, hearing this. Also, just sit, if nothing else, and just think about this. Take three minutes and think about this incredible debt that's been lifted off of you. That maybe you feel this Sin is hitting me again and again. I hate myself. I hear the words that Jesus has washed your sins away. 